Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban. Today, we're taking a look at the intersection of two barriers to health in Vermont, food access and transportation access. We've already discussed how healthcare practices balance the many different factors impacting health through their care coordination and resource coordination work. Today, we'll take a closer look at responses to the intersection of the two factors of food and transportation. Our first guest is from an organization that should be familiar to you by this point in the season. So my name is Faye Mack. I am the Advocacy and Education Director at Hunger Free Vermont. Hunger Free Vermont does a range of work towards their mission of ending hunger. You heard about them in our food insecurity screening episode and in our community resources roundtable. In this instance, we're looking at transportation and Faye's role in another group, Farm to Plate. I have been a longtime member of the Farm to Plate Network since it began uh, in 2011, I believe. And I have served as the chair of the Food Access Cross-Cutting Team for a few years in my time there. Farm to Plate is a far-reaching network designed to strengthen Vermont's food system. When you look at food system issues, transportation is always at the table because distributing food from one place to another is a core component of a functioning food system. You can see then how it isn't a big step from looking at how food moves to looking at how people move and then how it all comes together into food access. Yeah, transportation and food security are really interconnected in a number of different ways, actually. The most obvious is that in a state like Vermont, um, transportation can be a very big barrier to just getting food, getting to the grocery store, getting to your local farmer's market, and to getting to places like food shelves during the times that they are open. So some people in Vermont are able to use public transportation and other sources of transportation, and those don't always line up with where people live, where people work, and where people need to reach food. And the other way is that transportation is a basic need in a state like Vermont. Most people do need access to a reliable personal vehicle um, or a family car in order to get to work, to get to the grocery store, to get where they need to go and to meet their basic needs. And so if a individual or a family are struggling to afford all of their basic needs, they're often put in the place of making a really tough decision between buying things like food and paying for car maintenance and car repairs. And Having a reliable vehicle can mean the difference between keeping a job and and not keeping a job. So we don't ever want to have folks in a situation where they have to choose between food and um, their transportation. We also don't want anyone in the situation of choosing between food, transportation, and medical care. This episode is going to introduce some of the ways we tried to solve for these problems. We can look at the different approaches in three basic ways. First, there are solutions that get people to food. A lot of public transportation projects fall in here. Second, there are solutions that begin with looking at those locations people can already reach and improving the food available there. Think about initiatives to increase produce available at convenience stores. Here are some examples. A number of years ago, the Hunger Council of Washington County worked with Green Mountain Transit to make sure that There were drop-off locations at all of the summer meal sites for children that summer so that kids who relied on public transportation were able to get off at a summer meal site. They didn't have to get off the bus three or four blocks or a quarter mile away from the summer meal site and walk on streets that might not be safe or might not have sidewalks. That's delivering people to the food. And here's an example of improving food where people already shop. 
Vermont Farm to Plate Network has been providing all sorts of trainings and tools for independent grocers and smaller retailers over the last four or five years to help them navigate how to carry more fresh food and local food and how to um, stage that within their store in a way that is appealing and promotes buying the food. Uh, And that's been really helpful for a number of retailers. I'll post an example of farm-to-plate resources in the show notes at plainerenglish.org. We can improve local planning to better account for the equations of how people get to points of food access and what food options they find once they arrive there. And one of the really neat projects that I helped to launch with the Farm to Plate Network is an effort to work with town and municipal planners on addressing food access through the way that they're planning at a strategy level. Um, So we have worked to put together a toolkit to help community members and municipal planners and regional planners incorporate food security and hunger solutions into local town plans. The Hunger Council that worked on the Kids Summer Meals bus route in the previous examples brought together local planning, transportation mapping, and local advocacy to address another issue in their community. Another project has been to create a mapping tool that helps organizations like public transit authorities or housing organizations or other groups to take a look at where people live, where food retailers are that accept programs like Three Squares Vermont, and what the transportation looks like uh, to identify if there are gaps and opportunities to better connect people. So one example is that the public transportation one of the bus stops, the nearest bus stop to one of the major housing, low-income housing sites in the Barry area is at the bottom of a hill and the housing site is at the top of the hill. Folks can take public transportation to the grocery store from the housing site, but when they come back with their money bags of groceries, they then have to walk up a very steep hill. And so that's not a great point of access. There's an opportunity there to better connect a place where a lot of people live who rely on public transportation to their grocery store in a way that allows them to actually utilize that route to go grocery shopping. Now for the third focus area, which is where our second guest picks up the story. Our third focus is on delivering food to patients at home. This has received attention for obvious reasons during COVID-19, but in the world of food access as part of healthcare, it's been a priority for much longer. Healthcare practices work often with patients who can't leave their home easily or who shouldn't leave their home. Examples of programs designed with home delivery in mind include home health agencies delivering groceries as part of Medicaid benefits, Meals on Wheels for seniors, and medically tailored meals programs. During COVID-19, a lot of additional temporary options appeared in this category. My name is Maureen Boardman. I'm a family nurse practitioner, and I'm also director of clinical quality. I work at Little Rivers Clinic in Bradford, Vermont. Prior to COVID-19, Little Rivers had started a food program for patients with chronic conditions, which they then converted to a home delivery program once COVID started and everyone, especially those with chronic conditions, was cautioned to avoid unnecessary interactions. So we started back in January with a program through with Willing Hands out of Norwich to have food deliveries for our patients who were both food insecure but also carried a diagnosis of a chronic illness such as hypertension, diabetes, coronary artery disease. 
knowing that fresh fruits and vegetables and low-fat dairy are often expensive food items in anybody's grocery bills and hoping that with the ability for the patients to receive a weekly delivery of these foods, it may impact positively on their health. Willing Hands is a food recovery program that began with food that might have gone to waste from the local co-ops, then expanded, and now includes a significant amount of produce gleaned from local farms. Little River is connected with Willing Hands at a community giving fair. Maureen had recently learned about a program in rural Pennsylvania that fully integrated produce prescriptions with primary care in the Geisinger Health System, and she wanted to take steps in that direction. So we've got the food partner and the concept of which patients will be served. The next step was to go to the care coordinators to sign patients up. So we, I went to our care coordinators and asked them to identify patients with both possible food insecurity who carried a chronic diagnosis. And I gave them examples of just like I gave you high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. And they very quickly found me a list of patients from each clinic that met those requirements. And then we reached out to them pre-COVID pandemic. The patients were actually coming to the clinic once a week and picking up the food deliveries. However, once the pandemic happened and we were trying to limit the foot traffic to the clinics to limit exposure, then the care coordinators took it upon themselves to organize a delivery system and the food has actually been delivered to the patients on a weekly basis by our care coordinators since March. In addition to switching to a delivery option with the pandemic, the program expanded the amount of food shared. Willinghands originally made 100 pounds of food a week available, which became 400 pounds by the end of October, allowing Little Rivers to serve more patients. Maureen cautions, however, that this was never a project designed to scale easily. It didn't begin with any delivery at all. Then they added delivery on, simply through staff pitching in. And it begins to be very labor-intensive at an already busy moment for healthcare. At some point down the road, we're looking to try to find a way to sustain this program without maybe having to have the food delivered to the patients because it's taking up a huge amount of care coordinator time. The food comes in bulk, so they're getting 400 pounds in bulk, and then they're breaking it down into the individual bags, and then they're driving around our service area to deliver it to the patients, which is worth it at this point because certainly the need is there, but we'd like to move to something that may be hopefully more number one, self-sustaining, and number two, not using so much of our personnel resources to get it out there. It doesn't help that funding for the food delivery work can be described this way. So we don't have any funding for this program. Well, that was simple. The question about how to transition temporary programs into the appropriate format for sustainable response after COVID-19 is being asked across the state. Some may make sense only as temporary measures. Others might turn into a permanent option. Others might have lessons that can be rolled into expanding other projects. At Little Rivers, for example, COVID struck as they were completing a mapping project similar to the types of programs Faye described earlier. We did find out that we have one of the largest 
food desert um, in Vermont in our service area. There's about a 30 miles in between the grocery store in Bradford and going west, the next closest grocery store, which is in Barrie. Between those two points, there's lots of little mom and pop stores and general stores, but none of them meet the definition of a grocery store. And most of what they're lacking is a wide variety of the foods that we're talking about, the fresh fruits and vegetables and the low-fat dairy. Little Rivers had started to go down the list of options, bringing more people to the grocery store, getting more nutritious foods into convenience stores, opening up new food access points, for example, at clinic locations. And now they're delivering food to homes. In an ideal world, we would take strategic work that was happening prior to COVID-19 and then marry it with the best of the hundreds of experiments that appeared during COVID-19 response and come up with some sustainable solutions to the intersection of transportation barriers, food access, and health. History suggests we aren't great at moving past the stage of innovation where we let a thousand flowers bloom to the stage where we have an integrated statewide approach. But we keep learning, and this may be the moment. COVID-19 has shown the way external factors can quickly add up to food insecurity. It's pretty easy in Vermont to imagine having a problem finding transportation or an illness that makes it difficult to get outside of your house. And it doesn't take much for hunger to then be the result. Here's Faye again. Struggling with hunger is something that most of us at some point in our lifetime will likely face. And it's important to remember that, especially now during the pandemic, when we have seen that over the last nine months, 30% of Vermonters have experienced hunger during this pandemic, which is far, far higher than any level of hunger we've ever experienced before in Vermont in the last 20 to 25 years. And addressing barriers like transportation and some of the other foundational barriers to food access is really key to actually solving that problem. Now, I realize that we're just getting started with our exploration of food access as part of healthcare. We've moved from screening and care coordination within the practice to a review of programs designed to assist healthcare practices, and now looking at barriers to good health that cut across several sectors. It's an exciting moment to take a break. But it's also the end of the year and time to take a break. I'll try to throw in some mini episodes as we regroup and plan the next set of interviews, which you'll hear sometime in 2021 on the Policy in Plainer English podcast. (laughs) 